Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. The Conference on Retroviruses and Opportunistic Infections 2020 was a virtual meeting of the minds in infectious disease and public health. One of the sessions presented at CORI 2020 examined what makes epidemics recede. Part of that session focused on the UK HIV epidemic and the programs that were implemented that helped reduce the number of HIV infections in the region. The session was presented by Dr. Valerie Delpesh, who is the head of HIV surveillance at Public Health England in the United Kingdom. She joins us today to give us more insight into her session. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Delpesh. Thank you. Can you give us an overview of your session and the lessons learned from the HIV epidemic in the United Kingdom? Yes, of course. So the United Kingdom has had a concentrated epidemic over the last few decades since HIV began, and it's been focused mostly in gay and bisexual men as well as black African communities, most of them who've been born abroad and living in the UK. With that backdrop, we also have a universal health system which provides free and confidential HIV and STI testing and treatment throughout the country. And I think that's an important context to add. And overall, we've had about 100,000 people living with HIV in the UK as of the end of 2018 when it's the latest data. And that's about a prevalence of around 1.4 per thousand population and as I said, concentrated in those two populations. Very exciting. Over the last three years, we've actually seen a decline in new diagnoses in gay bisexual men in particular, which are the group who are more likely to acquire HIV in the UK. And that decline is confirmed using some modelling of a decline in also HIV transmission. And we think the HIV transmission has declined now since 2012, we use a, a CD4 back calculation of new diagnoses to estimate incidence in, in the UK. But there's other methods and, and the number of methods all state that um, it is very exciting to finally see a decline across the country. It's largely concentrated in London and um, there are particularly lessons to be learned there. And the decline is largest in white uh, British-born men, but this is where we've seen the largest numbers in the past. So they've they've contributed to about 85% of all cases of being in that in that group. We have seen smaller decline in other groups as well from other ethnicities and and born in Europe and and, and across the world. But essentially, this is extremely exciting news. Just to say, we've seen it also decline in diagnoses from men and women who acquire HIV heterosexually. But that's a much more complex picture because the majority of the decline are among those who um, are born in high prevalence countries. So some of that is probably linked to uh, changes in migration patterns with fewer people migrating to the UK from high prevalence countries. So the exciting news of, of a declining transmission is what my talk was about, and it was to really give context as to why that could have happened. We've reached the UNAIDS 1990 target, which means that 
we diagnose more than 90%, in fact, 93% of all people in the HIV in the UK were diagnosed in 2018. So there's only a very small number now, probably only around 7,000, perhaps up to 10,000 people who remain undiagnosed across the country with a population in the country of around 66 million people. You can see that's a very small number of undiagnosed infections. And then when people are diagnosed, they very quickly treated and put into, onto effective antiretroviral therapy. So the, the second UNA target is 97% of people diagnosed are on treatment. And consequently, the retention and the care received through the National Health Service is very effective so that over 97% of people who are on treatment are virally suppressed. And that means they are un able to pass on the virus to their partners, they're uninfectious, undetectable equals untransmissible. So this is extremely good news. We have fewer people undiagnosed and we have fewer people who are diagnosed who may be able to transmit virus. A lot of that has been due to increases in testing and getting people on treatment. And in more recent years, it's certainly been also the case that PrEP has been on the scene and certainly has had also another surge in, in creating fewer people being diagnosed with HIV. So yesterday, one of the plenary sessions was about the HIV epidemic in Vancouver and even a little bit in the U.S. and how the, the face of HIV is changing in, in North America. But it seems like it's a little bit different in the U.K. Can you go into the ways that the HIV epidemic is different in the U.K. versus other parts of the world? Yes. So the UK epidemic has been focused in gay, bisexual and other men who have sex with men, mostly UK born and of white ethnicity. That's one group. The other group has been heterosexual men and women born abroad of black African ethnicity who migrated in, into the UK. Now we know that most of those had acquired their HIV prior to coming to the UK. So that's a very different type of epidemic to gay and bisexual men who mostly acquire it within the UK. And within that group, we do see some, some men being born abroad who acquire their infection on arriving in the UK. But as I said, it's been very, very much largely UK-born men who acquire the infection. So um, what's been important is some of the uh, outcomes looking at uh, testing uptake and treatment, diagnosis and treatment uptake across different groups show that we're not seeing the health inequalities that might be seen in parts of America, um, Northern America. In the UK, for instance, when we look at the uptake of treatment across different modalities such as uh, gender, age, ethnicity or exposure or even region of geography, the uptake of treatment is very, very high, over 95%, regardless of, of that um, um, subgrouping. So we're not seeing inequalities in access to treatment and um, uptake or treatment or, or loss to follow up of treatment. And I think that's a real legacy to the National Health Service and universal and free access to testing and treatment. And that's quite different, I know, to parts of the United States in particular. Mm -hmm, absolutely. 
So before you mentioned something about there's a decline in the HIV incidence and even few people in the UK are undiagnosed with HIV. So based on those challenges and even that, you know, great goal that, you know, you've set the bar high for the rest of us, um, what types of public health interventions um, are being implemented or have been implemented based on those challenges? So, of course, the, the challenge has been to try and reach all people who need to be tested for HIV to be tested for HIV. And um, certainly there's been very focused and targeted campaigns throughout the last decades, similar to that you see in Northern America, trying to particularly increase awareness of HIV and the need for testing and the benefits of testing for, for personal as well as public health. And that's been targeted in our key populations in gay bisexual men as well as black African communities living in the UK in particular. And then there's been a, a range of modalities to ensure that uh, people are, are aware that they can get tested in sexual health clinics, but they can also get tested online now and order a self-testing or self-sampling test or even get one from the chemist. Or they can be tested at attending health services where there are higher rates of HIV in a geographical locality that the testing guidelines now uh, advocate the testing in general practice, um, in, on admission in hospitals, for instance. So there's many ways that people can be offered a test but also can initiate a test. And certainly a lot of the campaigns over the last 15 years have been to target in particular those two communities to take up testing and it's worked and that's been really really crucial the awareness has worked the culture of testing in gay men in particular has shifted tremendously when i arrived to work in the uk coming from australia where the culture of testing was already very established among gay men i was really quite astonished to see that very few men gay men in in england um, were testing regularly it was less than 30% were testing regularly. Now it's over 90% of gay men are testing regularly over the last 10 years. And that's, that's a really key strategy. Not only that, but it's also for those who are at higher risk with multiple sexual partners uh, and, and uh, condomless sex to be testing more frequently than once a year. And we've seen that number really increase so that we're, we went um, over the last few years from 20 to 40,000 men are now testing more frequently than once a year. And that's been key, getting people to, to test frequently and, of course, more recently to also take up PrEP should that be suitable to their needs. These have been some of the really, really key strategies in, in getting people tested. The other key to that is getting people very quickly on treatment. And uh, in my talk, I, I talk about a clinic in Soho, London, which is the, the heart of the, the, the gay quarters, if you like, in London, uh, a clinic called 56 Dean Street, which has been really key and instrumental in getting gay men to test frequently and to get on PrEP or, or other strategies if they're negative. But if they're positive, to get onto antiretroviral therapy very quickly so that in the last few years, they've dropped the number of people, the time to treatment from several weeks to now 48 to 72 hours, all men are on treatment. 
um, when they're diagnosed. Now, if you can imagine where you have a situation where either you're negative and you go on to PrEP um, or other behavioural strategy to reduce your risk, and if you're positive, you get onto treatment immediately and you test very frequently, you've got a situation where there are very, very few people who may be able to transmit virus. Great. A 2019 user survey that you and your colleagues had administered found that access to PrEP medication was a challenge for patients with HIV. How is this challenge being addressed and who or what organizations are involved? Yes, that's a great question. So um, a little bit of history about PrEP. Uh, in this country, PrEP has been available uh, informally since about 2015 on the internet, and we had a, a trial called PROUD trial, which showed uh, you know, very effective, uh, efficient and, and effective uptake of treatment among gay men in, in the real world, if you like. Um, but that was a small trial of, of less than 1,000 people since then, in October 2017, in England, we began a PrEP impact trial, which enrolled over 10,000 men to start taking up PrEP, but in an observed way, if you like, to better understand it's the type of regimen that works best for them, in other words, event-based or daily-based, to better understand the impact of regular monitoring on, on the healthcare system, and also to understand the impact of taking PrEP on, on sexually, other sexually transmitted infections, as well as obviously the HIV incidence. So this trial has provided already some really important answers around uh, the logistics of delivering a large PrEP program across the National Health Service, um, which has been very insightful the places have increased to over 26,000 in March last year. And, and uh, with, with, however, as the survey shows, when we conducted it in the summer of last year, in 2019, uh, this still wasn't enough for England. A, a, a lot of men were demanding it and wanting PrEP. Subsequently, a lot of lobbying went on from clinicians and, and community groups to really make PrEP a much more commissioned service, in other words, delivered free through the NHS. Uh, this is about to happen. It will happen any moment now. And I think coronavirus hasn't helped and probably delayed some of that. But that will mean that there will be a lot more places available. Um, in addition to having free access to PrEP on, on the NHS, there's also the continuing access of PrEP at privately through shops. So Dean Street provides generic PrEP, for instance, at, the, at their um, clinic. And there's also um, some websites where people can uh, purchase PrEP at fairly reasonable prices. So that is improving, but it just shows how important and how much a game changer PrEP has been for, for many gay men. And certainly we're trying to expand its access and the awareness of PrEP in other groups, including transgender and, and women at high risk as well. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Overall, what would you say the key take-home message is from your presentation? There's a couple of reflections for me. The, the science was all about combination prevention. Uh, in other words, uh, health promotion, early testing, diagnosis, and putting people on treatment, as well as the option of PrEP and other behavioural and 
preventive. Also just equally as important is, is our healthcare system, the universal access and, and um, free access to, to these where possible. But also it's, it's about the players. It's about the fact that in the UK we've had uh, a very strong, strong political will and system leadership, but we've also had some strong clinical leadership through the British HIV Association and a lot of engaged community members and civil society all galvanising together on common goals to achieve what needed to be achieved. TRAP is a great example, but many other examples, for instance, ensuring universal access to health for migrants regardless of migration status, uh, ensuring that we do not disinvest in prevention, HIV prevention. And all of that has been galvanised through a, a community with a common goal. Even if there were time differences, egos were dropped to ensure that they together could really form partnerships and take the government to account. And that's been really a key, I think. It's not just about the science. It is about the people, the politics and the partnerships. In the talk is, and this is obviously some biases from my perspective being a public health physician, is the importance of public health monitoring and, and that has been key to the response. So we're very fortunate and I have an excellent team of HIV managers, uh, um, data managers and scientists who work with me to collate really important information from uh, all sorts of clinics and clinicians throughout the country with you know, extremely good and high rates of reporting. And this means that we have a comprehensive national cohort of people accessing HIV care across the whole of the NHS, which is why I can provide you with very accurate information around treatment uptake and viral load uptake, uh, the numbers that um, get into care, the numbers that get tested through sexual health clinics. This is all because we have you know, tremendous data uh, and that is the goodwill of reporters, of people living with HIV, allowing their data to be used for public health purposes, but also a very strong public health infrastructure and surveillance and monitoring. And, and an example of that is that we provide data to down to local level. So each clinic in the UK has a dashboard, a clinical dashboard, and uh, the, at least once, if not twice a year, they have their dashboard and they'll know exactly the number of people who were late diagnosed through their centre, the number that were seen in care within a month of all newly diagnosed, the number that were suppressed virologically following treatment, the proportion of their cohort at their clinic who are suppressed uh, and on treatment. And of course, time to treatment is something we've added more recently. An example of that, over the country now, 83% of people diagnosed will be initiating treatment within three months. And we can do that across each clinic and then get each clinic to really engage with that data, um, order the data and better understand what their policies are in retaining people in care and offering uh, treatment. So it's very powerful and I think public health data really can drive the response also initiate new policies and monitor recommendations. Great. Thank you so much for speaking with me today about your session. 
Uh, it's been a real pleasure. And I, I think, uh, in summary, I think we're, we're on a really good trajectory in the UK to eliminate HIV. I think there are still challenges, however, and we need to sustain our efforts. Uh, and, and certainly that does mean addressing a, a range of, of issues. And I, I hope we get there and I hope some of the lessons learned can also have impact in other countries. So thank you for the opportunity to, to talk with you today.